like I said today, we're going to have a look at doors and gates. So just going to read first of all here in Genesis chapter 2. I'll start reading in verse 15, and perhaps for anybody that's a little bit newer, the Bible talks in the opening uh, 31 verses or so of Genesis chapter 1 about creation. It's only 31 verses. It tells us a lot without telling us a lot. And during that time, of course, amongst other things, the Lord created men men and women and sent them forth and so on. And then he formed a particular man, Adam, from the dust of the ground. And he separated him into a place called the Garden of Eden. We'll set him in a garden there. And we're just going to read a couple of verses here um, in verse 15. It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And I guess that this is the first, even though it's a a theoretical door at this moment, this is probably the first door mentioned in the Bible. We're just a few one and a half chapters or so into the Bible. But for this man, he was living, and if he was obedient to the word of God, he was not going to die. But the Lord gave him the single commandment and he told him that if he ate thereof, he would surely die, that a door would be opened unto him, the door of death. And so we're going to just go over the page. As we know, of course, they were disobedient to the word of God. And we're in chapter 3. And we're going to read here in verse 24. It says, So he drove out the man... And he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And I guess this is the first door, really, that's mentioned in the scriptures, so to speak. And doors and gates are quite a common thing, as I just, uh, as probably these couple of verses that sort of started me thinking about this, that doors and gates are very common in the Bible. Uh, the word door or doors is mentioned 239 times and the word gate or gates is mentioned 342 times. And they actually uh, enable entry or exclusion. They generally sit in a wall, an impenetrable type of a wall. We've got doors here to let you come into this part. There's exit doors so you can get out altogether. There's doors on your car and so forth which allow entry or exit uh, to and from anywhere but they also designate separation and we read there of course this man was in the garden of eden he was separate from the rest of creation and of course when the lord put him out he put a door there so a physical door so that he couldn't get back in and we'll just go over to revelations 22 right at the back of the bible revelations 22 and we'll read here in verse 14, Jesus said, it's written here, it says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. So way back there where the gate, if you like, the, uh, the thing that separated Adam from the tree of life will be removed for us so that we can have access to the tree of life. And so here, bookending both ends of the scriptures, we're able to see 
about doors and gates. And we're just going to skip through a number of things, perhaps just to tickle our interest a little bit here today uh, about some of these things as we look at them. Go to, back to Genesis chapter 6. It's a lot of significance and a lot of representation of doors and gates, as I say. And it's important to remember that scripturally uh, they either allow or stop entry into a place or into a concept or an idea. And so here in Genesis 6.16, this of course is after uh, Noah's built the ark and he did that exactly as the Lord said. We can read a little bit there about all of the sizes and the types of wood and all these types of things. But in Genesis 6.16, it tells us here, A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second and third stories shalt thou make it. And if we go over to the next chapter, chapter 7, and again in verse 16, haven't got time to look at all the story here today, but we encourage everybody to read the scriptures away from the meetings and you can fill in the gaps. Verse 16, And they that went in, went in male and female, of all flesh as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. So I can see that the Lord closed this door. And this door was the difference between obedience and disobedience. And of course we know that the eight souls survived in obedience unto the word of God. And it really outlines what God wanted. God is, is absolutely marvelous. All he wants is obedience and he'll open up everything to everybody that seeks to do these things. And so as we go along here, we'll just look at a few things. Flip over to the next book, Exodus, in chapter 12. And we'll read, start reading in uh, verse 21. And it says here, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel. Of course, this is uh, uh, the children of Israel had been uh, in Egypt for something like 400 years. Things there, of course, were very, very difficult. And we're getting towards the end of that time. And it says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and upon the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And so we can see here again, there's a set of instructions about what was to be done here. We haven't had time to read it all, but there was a specific set of instructions about what had to be done. But in the end, they had to stay inside with the door closed. And if they stayed inside, they would be safe because the difficulties that were occurring that night would not come inside. Now, we always say that the children of Israel uh, did what they were told to do, and, of course, they were victorious. But the Egyptians had doors also. Sure, they had doors on their houses, but they weren't obedient unto the word of God. They hadn't done the things that the Lord had said. And so we could see this was two things here. The door was to keep the children of Israel inside and to keep the problem outside during that particular night. Um, haven't got time to go there of course there's too many things to look at but extensively uh, the door of the tabernacle 
the door of the temple is mentioned through quite a number of books and in hundreds of examples it keeps talking about those particular doors of the tabernacle and of the temple. But for time we're going to move along to John chapter 10, the Gospel of John in the New Testament, chapter 10. So John chapter 10 verse 6 says, This parable spoke Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spoke unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, which means truly, truly, or of a truth, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. There's a great passage of scripture we read it quite often and people unfortunately in religious circles just take a little piece like that and justify themselves and say I believe in Jesus, he's the door, I'm in. And I think they have access to just get on the doorknob and just help themselves to the things of God. But the only way that we can do that, and we'll have time to look at a few things here tonight, is by obedience. What it does tell us is, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the door. Access to the things of God is by Jesus Christ. Um, Just over a little bit further into chapter 14. Just a very well-known single verse here, chapter 14, and in verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It doesn't actually mention the word door there, but if there's a way or a path or a passage or whatever it is to enter into somewhere, there'll be a door there or a gate. Something, if you like, which gains or stops access. And Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life, and we're able to rejoice in those things. Go to um, Matthew 28. Let's make a couple of books. Graham Manning said because I was giving the talk tonight he sold more double shots of coffee than he's done in weeks. So So I've got you fanning the pages to keep you awake, brother. Matthew 28, verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child unto him in the right place. 28. Everybody knows I'm numerically dyslexic, so we'll get there in a minute. There we go. This will probably make more sense. (laughs) Uh, Matthew 28, verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, whom was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him, lo, I have told you. 
And of course, this is an amazing door, this one. It was a very heavy stone and it was placed over the tomb of Jesus Christ. And the angel rolled this stone away. And we've said before, he didn't roll it away so Jesus could get out. He rolled it away so the people could get in to see that he wasn't there anymore, that he truly had risen from the dead. And that's a physical door, that stone. But at the same time, another door has been removed through obedience and for us, the door of death. You know, it's been taken away. This is just an amazing thing that this man in the prime of his life, who's the son of God, of course, and came and dwelt here on earth as a man and so on, but he should overcome death. It's an amazing concept. And praise the Lord that by the obedience to the gospel that you and I have hearkened unto the word of God and we have the same future ahead of us and it's a wonderful thing to look forward to. John 3, we'll go there. Perhaps for new people more than ourselves, we'll just have a look at this. Gospel of John chapter 3. I might just mention, uh, mention a verse and then we'll go back, back a little bit more. So here in John 3 and verse 16 is probably the single most popular uh, passage or verse out of the Bible. You see it everywhere. You see it on signs and all sorts. We'll read it. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And praise the Lord, that's very true, and it's a wonderful verse. But if you just cut it out and just justify yourself with it, it doesn't make any sense. And it's 16 verses into a, into a sentence, into a conversation, into a concept. And we need to read what is it that Jesus was saying before we get to that point where he could make that statement. So we'll just go back to chapter 3 and verse, uh, verse 1 just to lay a bit of uh, groundwork here perhaps. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, same came to Jesus by night, said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, or as I said before, of a truth, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? And be born. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. And there's two things here. First of all, it says you cannot see. And we need the doors, if you like, removed from our eyes, the shutters removed from our eyes, the blockage, if you like, the thing that was restricting us from seeing removed from our eyes. And then in verse 5 it tells us, unless we're born again of water and of the Spirit, we won't have access to the kingdom of God. The door will not be opened for us. And so we can see quite clearly here, before Jesus got to the part where he read verse, or he said verse 16, which we have recorded in our Bible, he clearly tells us how somebody can be in that position. You must be born again. Um, just in Matthew 7, I'm going to go there for a couple of things. 
I don't do it this way often, but my notes are like snakes and ladders today. It's got little arrows going up there. So it'd be great. <laughs> we'll try here. Matthew 7, verse 13. Jesus says here, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And it's not few there be that find it because it's hard to find. There's few that find it because there's few that are willing to be obedient. There's few that are are willing to repent, to hearken unto what the Lord said. They want to justify themselves, grab a scripture here, get a piece there, going about establishing their own righteousness, as the Bible says, rather than doing the things that the Lord told us to do. It's the most easily found gate on the face of the earth to someone who repents, and all the people said. It's clearly opened, it's lit, the lights are on it, it's shined, and we can all find it. In the same chapter, and just back a little bit into verse 7, it says here, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asks, receive. Everyone that seeks finds, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And of course that's the door to eternal life. That's the door to everything that God has in store for his children. All we need to do is to seek it, knock, and to just seek the Lord for these things, and that door will be opened. And of course those of us that have been in the Lord for any time at all, the most amazing things happen in our life. Peace. That's the greatest one just to start with, a true peace that passes all understanding uh, that's within us, of hope that the Lord's coming back, that we understand that now, that he's coming back and that we do have access to the things that he's got for us. Acts chapter 12 and um, verse 5. This stage here, of course, Peter's been locked up in jail. Used to do a little bit of that in those days. Didn't like what you say, they'd stick in jail. But we'll read here in um, verse 5. It says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And so he was certainly secured in here, and there's a number of other places that we can read in the book of Acts and so forth about people being in prison and jail and of course and, and you know most of us know that they have quite sturdy doors and locks and so forth uh, to keep the prisoners in and to keep the population the general population out verse 7 and behold the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined in the prison and, Peter, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up saying arise up quickly and his chains fell off from his hands And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, bind on thy sandals, and so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate which leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord and they went out 
passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And of course we see here that not only whatever particular cell he might have been in and chains and things which were restricting him there, but when they got to the iron gate <coughs> which leads to the city, it opened of its own accord. But all of that happened really because he did what he was told. He thought he was in a bit of a dream and so forth, he, a bit of a head spin if you like. And sometimes it can be like that with our walk in the Lord. We're not sure about why we need to do something that's in the Scriptures or where the answer's going to come from or how it's going to work out. But we know that if we walk with the Lord, the chains will fall off, the doors will be opened, and all things will be good and we'll come out into the light. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there's a verse here I want to read. Verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted. Above that you are able but with all the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And so whatever we're going through, and sometimes we think it's the Lord doing whatever, I just can't believe that the Lord punishes his people. That's the enemy's job. Why would God say, let me get in cahoots with you and mess his life up for him? This doesn't make any sense. We go through stuff, we go through trials and tribulations, there's circumstances, like it said, such is common to man. But it tells us here that the Lord will open a door of escape. Whatever that'll be, whether it's victory, whether it's provision, whether it's a healing, whatever it is, there'll be an escape clause when we just can't hack it anymore. And I think every one of us has found that in our testimonies and so forth over the years, things that can get really, really difficult and all of a sudden it's just as though a door springs open and all things are just wonderfully different. Um, a couple of things we just have to mention here for time. Uh, if you're taking notes in Acts 14 and verse 27, it says, When they were come, they had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And of course, we could have read in, uh, about Cornelius in chapter 10 there, the first of the Gentile people mentioned receiving the Holy Spirit. Before that, of course, was for the children of Israel, the Jewish people, if you like. Um, but uh, at that stage, of course, the word went to the Gentile people. Uh, I was pretty sure most of us here fall into that category. Uh, but a door of faith opened that we might hear the word and that we might, of course, be able to come. And that's talking there generally about a, a group of people, Gentile people, but we can certainly take it to lay it against your life or mine, or if you're a new person here today, of course, that can be against your life. Uh, Ephesians 6. We'll have a look at Ephesians 6. A lot of doors and gates, as I say, they're actually called doors and gates throughout the Bible. Uh, but there's other ones, if you like, uh, um, symbolic doors, if you like, uh, they represent a door, and uh, such is the case here in Ephesians 6 and verse 19. And it says, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And when you think about it, we've got a, a door on our mouth, you know, and it's up to us whether we unlock it and whether we speak or whether we don't. You know, and praise the Lord, we are a people that's driven by wanting to share the gospel with people, to tell them the truth. And we say many, many times, it's not often 
popularly received. You know, people will say, oh, I don't agree with that or whatever, and all of a sudden they want to argue. That's their business whether they want to or not, but it's our business that we preach the full counsel of God without fear or favour, and all the people said. And he talks there about open my mouth boldly. And it does take a measure of boldness, if you like. It's not about how strong you are. It's not about how physically fit we are. It's about how willing we are to allow that to happen. Um, Colossians, in the same neck of the woods here. Colossians chapter 4, a little bit of the same kind of a verse. To so say when you're <clears throat> reading over the next weeks and months and so forth, it might surprise you all the doors and gates that you'll see, either literally or symbolically, uh, as to access or resistance to things. Here in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3, it says, With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. And I guess the same parallel type of a verse for us is that, you know, at work or at school or, you know, in our community, wherever we are, that the Lord would do that, open a door of utterance for us to speak the mystery of Christ. You know, an opportunity, you know, what did you do on the weekend? I went to church. That's either going to cause deathly silence or a good conversation, one of the two. Uh, just all we've got to do is tell people what we do and what we're involved in. But it says praying. You know, that needs to be something we do. We need to pray uh, for the Lord to make opportunities in our life for these sorts of things. Again, if you're just taking notes for time in Psalm 118 and verse 19, he writes, Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them and I will praise the Lord. And again, that's not a physical gate somewhere. You can't go over and say, there it is over there or there it is over there. But it's a gate that's opened by obedience. You know, I had a brother there today who was baptised and so forth, and we certainly he'll be in our prayers. We remember back to the time when we sat in the baptism tank, when we sought the Lord, when he filled us with the Holy Spirit, and the gates of righteousness were open, if you like, unto us. Um, again, if you're taking notes, just the next verse, Psalm 118 and verse 20 said, This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. We get to enter into the presence of the Lord, into the nearness, if you like, of the Lord. Um, Psalm 100, we won't necessarily go there, but Psalm 100 and verse 4 says, Enter, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. And I guess from time to time we want to just maybe think about things. When we're actually having prayer and so forth, I guess, you know, as our eyes are closed and that, sort of kind of mentally see ourselves entering in through a porch perhaps uh, into the presence of the Lord and knowing that he's hearing our prayer, that we're incredibly close. It's not like in the old days when the, the high priest would go in and you're out there somewhere and whatever. You know, we're closer to the Lord than anyone else can get because the door or the gate has been removed forever for us. I want to go to Psalm 141. It's a really cool little verse here. It's a verse that's very, very close to my heart. This one. Psalm 141 and verse 3. So what I said, Psalm 141, good, verse 3. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth, 
keep the door of my lips. And I love this because, uh, you know, I'm, I was a loose cannon before I come to the Lord. And I praise the Lord. The first victory he gave me, if you like, was he set a watch on my mouth. And, uh, and I, not that I swore. It's not that I really swore or anything, but I just didn't care what I said and to whom I said it. Uh, and I just praised the Lord. That was the first victory he gave me. I knew that I would be of no use to the Lord whatsoever if I was still that way. And it's an amazing victory. And we'll just read it again, and just for all of us to think about it. Not only what we don't say, but perhaps what we do say. Any door is two ways. It keeps things in, and it lets things out. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth, Keep the door of my lips. And that should be a prayer for all of us that we're able to to look to these things. Again, if you're taking notes in Hosea chapter 2 verse 15, it talks about a door of hope. You know, and what an incredible thought. The door of hope has been opened to you and I. You know, whether it was last week, as I say, or even 30, 40, 50 years ago, that amazing door has been opened. Second Peter chapter 1. And, excuse me, again, perhaps for, for newer, newer folks in our midst here. And any time that we take a verse here, like this is, uh, Peter's second epistle or second letter, uh, that he wrote to people in that day and that age, of course, that were receiving the Holy Spirit and the churches were blossoming, churches like this and have the name of the Revival Fellowship or whatever, then have those names. But these are churches parallel and exactly the same as the one that you're sitting in here today. And this was how he communicated, of course, today. We're able to fly across the world and visit people here and there and all sorts of things. <coughs> Excuse me. These were done by letters, often took weeks or months to get to somewhere, or they would just have to go and walk the distances uh, and so forth. And these are wonderful letters that he writes here. And in the, uh, the second one, chapter 1, and in verse 11, and he writes here, For so an entrance shall be ministered, uh, unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Saviour Jesus Christ. Is that the one? Yep, that's the one. So it talks here about uh, in, into an everlasting kingdom. You think about that, into an everlasting kingdom. And we read back in John 3, unless we're born again, we can't enter in. And the importance of the door. And realistically, like I said, these doors, you can't go up and and actually knock on one, you know, like that. They're not out there. They're there by obedience or disobedience. We have a free will choice. Our willingness to please God will open the door. That's all he wants from us, is a simple willingness to be obedient unto his word when we hear it. Just a couple of things just to finish on, if you're taking some notes here. In Psalm 119 and verse 130, It says, the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. It doesn't mean simple like we might use that today. The simplicity. It's just a wondrous thing that the things of God are not complex to the obedient. They're only complex to the disobedient. You have to go and invent all sorts of things. And, you know, you see them sitting around with cardigans on and candles and peering over their glasses and waffling on about all sorts and they know nothing you know a person can sit in the baptism tank get baptized receive the holy ghost and know more than any of those will ever know in less than a minute simply because everything from god is by revelation 
Yes, we read our Bible. Yes, we're encouraged to read our Bible. But we understand what's there because we're obedient and the Lord can reveal it to us. Also in Psalm 34 and verse 15, it says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and and his ears are open unto their cry. And again, here's two more symbolic doors, if you like, or shatters it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. So that if you like, he's looking out through his door to see and the doors are off his ears so he can hear. He can hear because we cry unto him. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and I will sup with him and he with me. What an amazing thought to think about that, uh, you know, I came out in the gifts today about everything that's going on, you know, in the heavens and the universe and all the order and the structure. And from the tiniest thing to the greatest, it all just happens. And God's looking at you and me. That's where his interest is. He's looking for the next obedient person uh, to have ready for the kingdom when Jesus Christ comes. And so separation, if you like, is a, it's even in a lot of ways it's a mental door of separation. Uh, it keeps things in, it keeps things out. You know, if we separate our mind to the things of God, the things of the world won't have access to us. We'll make sure that that's the things that can't come in. And of course, then we have no opportunity to get there unless we're obedient. And many aspects of God's word and plan, they hinge on doors and gates. Pretty bad, but there you go. They hinge on doors and gates. It'll swing easily and open to us all if we want to do what God wants. We're just going to finish in John 11, Gospel of John chapter 11. We often think, you know, when we're looking at some scriptures and thinking about some things, you know, and we think back, it was, I forget the exact date, but it was a date late in March 1981 that I went to my first meeting at the Vogue, and uh, I've mentioned before that was a prayer and fast. There were probably in excess of 800 people there that day, and it was, you know, wasn't wasn't what I expected, I can tell you that. And... um my sister-in-law received the Holy Spirit right next to me. I didn't understand what was going on, but I knew what happened to her was true. I didn't know, couldn't explain it, didn't know what, but she received the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues right next to me. And instantly, everything in my life changed. It took a little while until I received the Holy Spirit myself and that I was sure, of course, personally of these things. But I thought of all the things. It was quite a difficult time in our life, for those that don't know, my uh, late wife had had a spinal injury, and that's when we heard about the things of God. And uh, the things I've talked about here, about the door of hope being opened, and things like that, weren't on my landscape. And I think of all the religions, and all the people that could have come and seen us, and somebody had had the door taken off their mouth to come and tell us about the truth. You know, and I was just staggered. It was just amazing. I remember at one stage while Rhonda was in Hampstead in rehabilitation, she was there for over eight months, and she told me one morning a Presbyterian minister or something knocked on the door and he said, how are you? She said, good. And he said, oh, keep your packer up and walked off. Fat lot of good that is. I mean, where's keep your packer up in here, you know? He should have gone and told her how to get saved or something. would have been a lot more useful. 
But uh, that's the world. That's the way it is. And praise the Lord, this door that we're talking about here today by obedience has been opened and it's been given to you and I to go and preach the gospel. So just going to finish reading here in John 11, just a couple of verses. Um, Verse 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? This is really, really important because it says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And that's what baptism is all about, the burial of the old person and the infilling of the Holy Ghost for the new person. We're still technically in this one life between our natural birth and the grave or the return of Jesus. But if you like, the sentence is death has been taken off us and the hope of eternal life given to us. And the second part tells us, whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Now that was the promise that Adam had. We read about that in the first and the last verses we read in Genesis and in Revelation. That was the promise that Adam had, that he wouldn't die. And that's the promise that you and I have now. The gates have been opened. Let's make sure we rejoice in that and all the people said.